So people were just like cramming people over there to try and like make actual money through Blip. Blip yeah. was a weird service. Oh, uh, it ain't I it know. ain't cheap being easy. It ain't cheap being easy. Just like this Halcyon Frequency podcast, episode 37, airing live October 2nd, 2022. You've heard of Arch. He's here. Suey's also here. How are you doing today? Hi, hi. I'm doing good. And I'm blind. I'm hosting this here episode. Uh, Arch Play Stuff, like I said, is here as well. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Still finding stickers in strange places, but um, apart from that, quite well. <laughs> I was going to ask if you'd called an exterminator for your sticker infestation, but it sounds like you haven't yet. <laughs> no, no. It's just really funny. Like, you know, I put on my sock yesterday. It was a clean sock and it had two stickers on it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's like glitter, which is probably, which is probably going to be like, you know, my next, my next, uh, community event. <laughs> I've, I've done, what I've done makeup. Do I've done makeup. I've done stickers. Next September 29th, look for glitter. Just, if you do glitter, make sure you're careful, because, like, environmental stuff, If try to get, like, a non-plastic one if you can. I, I oh, used to watch a, a a streamer a while ago who had a ping pong ball cannon, and so a thousand bits would fire a ping pong ball at him. <laughs> or oh my gosh, I'd love it. And it, 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 was, it was very, very funny, because, like, you know, he'd just be doing something, and somebody would drop a hundred bucks and just be like, pop! Um, and I'm just sitting here imagining you with like a glitter cannon. It's just like hundred dollars. <laughs> glitter bomb. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would need that because the next day would be unpacking my entire room and vacuuming every surface. Yep. Just like a, a, a the, then we'll have the, the post excitement vacuuming stream. Oh yeah. 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 The, uh, oh what was it? Maybe the Avengers at the end of Avengers when they're all having the shawarma and there's just that guy cleaning up in the background. There'll just be a like the just destroyed be... storefront. <laughs> yeah. There'll just be a video of uh, a stream of me just quietly vacuuming while someone someone eats some food in front of me. You know, it's kind of funny because that one scene from the Avengers like in immediately taught like the entirety of North America the existence of shawarma. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it was like the best marketing like shawarma could ever have. Suddenly, all of the shawarma places are now like like upscaling, and there's fancy shawarma places here now. It's kind of insane. It, it's it's funny though because he could have said anything, right? Because it's the throwback is when, um, I think they when they when Iron Man falls back to Earth. And they're like, are you okay? And he pops open the thing and he's like, oh, I saw a, saw a shawarma place over there. We should try that. You know? Hmm. And shawarma? then, yeah, at the end they're having that. And it's like, he could have just said, oh, I saw a noodle place. I saw a burger place, you know? Well, but, I mean, like the, the, the old school comic book one would be pizza, right? Yeah, yeah. Pizza? Uh, right. 1980s New York and pizza. That was a real strong thing. But no, they, they went with shawarma Dude. and every single little middle eastern place made a lot of money once when i was little i had a dream that i was like part of the uh scooby-doo team and then i ate pizza and all the monsters came back yeah that's how that works <laughs> yeah 
You drink? I was like, I remember, I was like three or four, and I went downstairs to talk to my mom afterwards and asked for some pizza. So what you're saying is you would have gotten away with it too, if it wasn't for those yeah. meddling kids. How have you been, Sorry, Suey? It's, it's you, been a while. Your childhood dreams are unhinged. I just want to put that out. <laughs> My dreams are unhinged. I'll tell Sue Boy about them when I wake up. And he's like, are you okay? <laughs> and then you're just like, damn it, I woke up. That's no, me. because like, I don't know. I get some weird apocalypse dreams sometimes. So it's not a good time. Apocalypse yesterday. But how you been, Sue? Huh? What have you been up to? The past few days, I've actually, like, kind of lost my voice and stuff, because on Sunday, I went shopping, and, like, I pushed my body too hard, and my body's just like, bleh. Um, but I'm super excited, because later today, which I know podcast comes out on Sunday, so this will be in the past, but later today, I'm going to be playing Project Zomboid with Michelle, and I'm super excited for that. Ooh. You know, I, I also had go into a mild state of psychosis after going into a mall, so I can completely relate with that. No, it's completely physical. It's just like I push my body too hard because I'm really out of shape. And I was like in this store for two hours, like running, grabbing clothes and then like trying them on as fast as I could. And yeah, if I just walk into a mall, I just want to keel over. Like spontaneously, oh. like there, yeah. there's something about just like the white light, the shiny floor, the just the shops everywhere, just filled with people, and like everything to me. Just th this is this is gonna sound like the the most like Western hipster BS, but it's just like I walk into a mall and it's like everything is so cheap, like that that and that's a problem to me, and not not cheap in the like oh it's it doesn't cost a lot, like you know a pair of a t-shirt might actually be like closer to fifty dollars, but like. Oh, it's it's shipped across the border. This was made. This was crimes were committed to make this T-shirt. Is how I feel when I walk oh, into yeah. a mall. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I try. I've been trying to stay away from uh, brands that do that. Like walking into you know? Forever Twenty One to me is just like I feel like I'm standing Ooh. in a war crime. <laughs> I went there a couple times bizarre. in high school, and like the clothes basically disintegrated. Oh yeah. Fifty-two week oh. cycle. You have to buy new clothes every three weeks. Come on. Get with it. It's horrible. They should call it Forever 52 because that's how often you... <laughs> once, a, once a week, go buy new t-shirts because, like, your socks... I try to out. buy... I've been trying to buy at, like... So I'm not the best about sustainability with clothes or anything, but I'm trying to buy at stores that have higher quality stuff, and then I just go to the clearance at those stores to kind of reach a price that I can handle. So I, I, I on the topic of shopping, I, I made a very big step as an adult... And I bought three pairs of jeans. Wow. For I did too. For clarification, I haven't bought jeans since before I moved out. I moved out a decade ago. Oh. <laughs> oh. You had some good jeans beforehand. They were good jeans. Like, and like this past year was like the year that they all kind of had holes in places where I was like, all right, one of them has like a knee showing. One of them has like a, this awkward hole right beneath like my crotch zipper. One has like like the, 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 the like pant leg was falling off and like my three pairs of jeans. So I tore the bottoms off of the two usable ones and now I have two pairs of jean shorts and I now have new jeans. Oh, blind's got jorts. Yeah, I've got jorts. I, got, I, I I'm going to use them for gardening because I've been, I've been looking for like a pair of shorts or something that I, I'm willing to wear to the garden because most of my shorts are for hiking. And These so like are my gardening jorts. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I have like I have two pairs of hiking pants and a pair of hiking shorts that are ultralight, like moisture wicking material. So yep. I have bought pants in the last decade. I just haven't bought like daily driver jeans in the past decade. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I um I've been getting my stuff through a bit of a pricey place, but it's good quality stuff and I actually don't have any jeans at the moment. I'm just looking over it. I just did my washing yesterday and I'm looking over at my all my clean clothes and I'm like, I don't actually have jeans there. I have three pairs of shorts, I bought some. three pairs of jeans, I guess those two pairs of jorts now, and uh, two pairs of hiking pants and a bathing suit. That's it. Oh, one pair of sweatpants. I don't even have a swimsuit. Yeah, yeah. What, what's, I, what's your swimsuit block? I live in the desert. What's my swimsuit? I live in the desert and I don't have a swimsuit that fits. <laughs> well, there's no water there, so that makes sense. No, everyone has pools in the backyard. Like it feels like every fifth person at least has a pool, pool in their backyard. backyard. No. Well, then you live in the desert and there's no water there, so that makes sense. And people go to the lakes and stuff that are Besides, up in the mountains. Who, who needs a bathing suit to swim? You're just not dedicating enough to be active swimming. <laughs> you can swim fully clothed or either. Who cares? Yeah. See, my my. Oh, mind, I thought you were. <laughs> yeah, my mind did not go to fully clothed. I'll be honest. Yeah, me I, either. I because like. Swimming in clothes is so uncomfortable, and like yeah. they stick to you. I went on a on a hike last year, and we went to Hayward Lake. There's actually a video of it on my YouTube channel, and it was it was the second hottest day of the year. And I, at peak that day, it hit like 46 degrees Celsius. You can do math, Sui, if you want. Um, but it was bloody hot, and uh, so this is a cold lake that's fed by mountains. And uh, towards the end of it, every like three hours or so, me and my dad were just walking into the lake, walk out of the lake, keep walking, <laughs> take shoes off, walk into lake, walk out, dry feet off in like a minute, put shoes back on, keep walking. Yeah, it was like that in Australia as well. You know, if you were like in the middle of summer, like because we only had fans, we didn't have air conditioning. So it would be pretty common to just go into the shower and like lightly douse yourself and then just go back outside mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i, I don't think people I, need I, to own swimsuits as adults yeah no no there's just two kinds of people you know when you said oh you know you don't need a swimsuit <laughs> i mean i also haven't used my swimsuit in a very 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 long time is it is a is a boxer sh- like board shorts or uh or budgie smugglers I'm going to pretend I don't know what that second word means. They're like full length shorts. Because my parents tried to stop me from going into the water because it was very, very cold. Because, you know, Pacific Ocean and all. Yeah, it does that. No, you don't really want to go deeper than your ankle. Can't can't relate. Yeah, and it was very cold. You'd like wade in and then like you have to like stop, wait for uh, your body to kind of like numb up and then keep going. Arch, to give you an idea, there's a a saying here in Vancouver for people who go to the beaches, the water feels cold, feels warmer in the winter because it's closer to the air temperature. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you swim in the Pacific Ocean? I've swum in the Pacific. I used to do the polar bear swim every winter. So basically we all grew up swimming in the same ocean despite being Ice on cold opposite sides yes. of the world. The Pacific Ocean uh-huh. is too big. Like, I seriously want to submit a formal complaint. It, what, you it want needs to drain to be... some of it? No, no, no. Just break it up. It's too big to fail. You know, break it up. Are you saying it's a monopoly on water? Exactly. It's a monopoly on like half the earth. (laughs) I think we have our episode title. (laughs) 
Monopoly on water, people are going to think we're talking about Nestle. <laughs> I mean, that just gives us SEO ranking right there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, considering like the rest of this podcast isn't going to be about Nestle, we are going to talk about some video games, so I think we're going to go to a real quick break. And When we come back, we're going to be talking about the games that we've been playing this week. And uh, I hope that you enjoy this real quick mes- message from a friend of the show, Faloin. Hi there. I am Faloin, and I'm a content creator and streamer over at Twitch and YouTube. I also produce and host the podcast ActiveCast, where I interview people about exercise, training and health from a perspective of a gamer, streamer or someone who sits still a lot. I hope to meet you on any of those platforms really soon. Oh, it's 1.3 times smaller. So it's only, it's a small fraction smaller. That's the actual map of it. It's basically the size of the US. I was going to say, uh, Australia is 7.4 million square kilometers and the US is 9.8 million square kilometers. That could be a fun fact that Australia is very similar size to the US. Canada is bigger than both. Yeah, no, no. My fun fact will be Canada is too big. And we're back with Halcyon Frequency <laughs> Podcast, episode 37. I'm blind. I'm still hosting. And I'm joined by Arch Plays Stuff and Suey. Uh, and I think that they're, one of the two of them is going to start talking about wild flowers. Yeah. What is it? So, yeah, it's a farming sim game. People have compared it to like Stardew Valley and stuff, but I think it's more like Story of Seasons personally um and it's where you play you know you're like doing your farming and stuff you go to town meet the people but you're also a witch so you get to like cast spells and do magic and all kinds of fun stuff um and i really enjoyed it so i was really impressed by it because it has full voice acting and that's like not really no i think that's unheard of in this genre and so it was so refreshing not to have to voice all the characters all streaming. And I just got to, like, chill out. And it was a good time. And, like, the cast was really diverse. And it was overall a really good time. What do you think, Arch? Yeah, I'm still playing it. Like, I'm I'm dedicated to playing through the entire story. Um, and it is. It's an absolutely beautiful game. It's made by Studio Dry Dock in Australia. Uh, so a little bit of a shout out to my, uh, my home country, even if they're in Melbourne, not Sydney, I'll forgive them. Um, the, the game is like, like I said, incredibly diverse, both in, um, ethnicities in, um, all, all of the, the ways I'll say, cause you know, starting to list them all sounds a little bit weird. Um, but it's each character is incredibly unique, not just in their own um, their own voice, but in their own personality and their own walk. Uh, watching Studio Dry Dock on um, Twitter talking about things, they're like, for the Baker guy, they wanted that jovial tummy first walk, and then they added a slight bouncing animation to it, and they went through all of this, and it's just really cool seeing that. And the story, yeah. the story itself is really good. Um, Basically, you return because your grandmother's unwell and you find out about this, um, the, the coven that your grandmother is a part of. And so there's like getting to know them, learning the spells, learning your own heritage. Um, and then there's also a witch that's like trying to attack the coven. And you see that like right at the beginning, actually. Yeah. yeah. And there's, yeah. there's an element of mystery to it. 
Um, and so the storyline of it all is actually quite engaging. And like every time you think that, okay, so like I've joined, I now have to find out who they are. I do that. And I'm like, okay. And then there's an event and then you get transported to a, a fairy realm, a fairy town. And you're like, wait, there's more of this. And then just every, yeah. every season, it seems like the story expands. And the benefit is it's a full release. It's not going, it didn't go into early access. It was a full True, release. True, it's so nice. Um, it was originally on uh, Apple Arcade, which is, um, you know, the uh, iOS uh, subscription games. Um, and seeing quite a lot of good games from there um, come to come to PC. Like, uh, Yeah, Apple's got a pretty good eye for uh, putting games on that service. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's it's really quality in terms of uh, animation, visuals. It's got a distinct style that they've chosen. The people in it really feel great. They feel unique and individual. They're from all countries, you know, um, all sexualities, all that. And it's very, very authentic stories about them. Um, and... Yeah, it's it's been quite a um, quite a lot to play through, and I've really enjoyed it. There's proper subplots too, and it's like they're not even quest based. There's just like proper subplots that are there that if you talk to the characters enough, you learn like, oh, so and so, they don't get along, and they want to, and it's this huge fight, you know. Yeah, I, and I, so uh, yeah, I, it's not a it's not a solid farming game. I will I will say that you are limited in the amount of stuff you can grow, and you know, like there's it's not like Stardew Valley where your farm is the the point of the story. You know, you can literally farm yeah. and never leave, and <laughs> you don't even notice anything major. Whereas with this, it's the farming is something that you do for an hour, like water your crops and then bugger off. You also don't sell a lot of crops. I find myself hoarding them and holding on to them all. I hoarded all of them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Because all like cooking is a very strong thing in this. Um, spells and potions require various ingredients. One includes a chocolate muffin as one of the ingredients. So, um, yeah, there is a lot of need to basically hoard a lot of materials, um, which can be good in the sense that, you know, these materials you can sort of keep a decent stockpile of. There's no inventory limitation in your, in your inventory, so that's all good. But also when you're trying to make money and you will sell something and then, 10 minutes later, yeah. you get a scene and get a request yeah. for it. And you're just like, oh gosh. Um, did you find a better way to make money than the way I told you? Yes. Yes. A much better way. You did? Yeah. How? Uh, so spoiler, <laughs> when you get to the bottom of the mine, um, you can mine yeah. gold and diamonds and you can make diamond rings. Um, those didn't sell that good. They sell. For Not worth the effort. They, for the effort it takes, it was way faster to do the fish sticks. How how does it take effort? It's literally one hit. Because you have to like mine forever, and you don't always get the ore. Like I found that I got diamonds like once every like ten blocks. Okay, so a diamond spawns in the gem veins 
What, I know. One, one. But I got one like one on every five. One on the floor. You mine it as soon as you get it. You leave. You come back. You mine those. And every five still means five swings of the pickaxe. Like we're talking, we're talking easy yeah. money there. <laughs> no, but just turning into a cat and running around for you know like five minutes. It literally takes five minutes, and suddenly you have like three k. No, I reckon my economy's better, but <laughs> mine's so much better, dude. We'll derail. It's way less effort. Min max. So I get with to just zone out and go around. I just get to zone out and go around the seashore. How many buttons like... do you want to click? Arch yeah, wants you... to click more buttons. Sui wants to click less buttons. Arch wants to go to the mine. Sui wants to be a cat. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, no. Absolutely beautiful game. Suggest it's checked out, you know, uh, if you like those games and like a focus on the people of the village as well. Yeah. Who did you go for? You went for... Amira, the doctor. Yeah. Did you Did you get to... We're da- How far have you gotten? We're dating now. You... So, I, I, guess you I managed could... to get to marriage with Damon in the game. Very nice. Damon is such a sweetheart. <laughs> Blind sitting there going, yep. don't know what any of this means. Pretty much, yep. <laughs> All right, how about you take a turn talking about a game? I'm going to talk about something completely polar opposite of this. I'm going to talk about Incision. Uh, so I, I played Incision this week. I didn't stream it, just played it on my own time, played through the, uh, the uh, uh, early access levels. Incision is a uh, hardcore first-person shooter in a horror-slash-body-horror, fleshy, everything-is-bleeding-and-why-is-there-blood-on-the-walls um, kind of nightmare apocalypse. Um, it is a very fast-paced kind of Quake-esque with a double-jump um, first-person shooter. And uh, by default, it's extremely difficult. Uh, it doesn't have a save system in levels, so if you die, you die. There is a life system where you can find lives in kind of the secret areas around the environment. Um, but it is it is it pins itself as a very very difficult game. But the reason I'm talking about it is because it has a kind of awesome difficulty slider set. So uh, something that we like to talk about on this podcast quite frequently with like Kiri and FG and uh, Arch and like you guys to a, to a degree as well uh, is accessibility. Um, this game has two sliders that I think are kind of phenomenal and I wish every single old school first person shooter had. Um, it has one to incre- increase or decrease the damage enemy bullets do to you and one to increase or decrease the speed that they move at. So you can set them all the way down to a snail's pace to the point where you can walk faster than them if you really want. And this makes what is normally an extremely difficult hardcore shooter um, a very approachable, extremely difficult hardcore shooter. And um, so I, I quite enjoyed playing through that. This is uh, published by Hyper Strange and developed by Smooth Brain Dev. Uh, it's just a solo developer project, as far as I can tell. Runs in Unity, looks like it ran on the PS2. There's blood everywhere, fun variety of enemies. There's a, a shotgun that has two fire modes, which is fire bullets or fire more bullets. Uh, there is a revolver with a dedicated flip the revolver around your finger button. Uh, there is uh, a, a a machine gun that uh, has an alt fire, which is a grenade launcher. It's a good time. There's a weird spiky ball that you can smack things in the head with. It's a disgustingly violent first-person shooter uh, with a uh, banger, dark, kind of bass music soundtrack. If you've ever um, 
uh, listened. Wow, why, why am I blanking on the name of this? Ba- like one group that I was thinking of uh, that I was talking about earlier with a friend of mine, which I can't remember the name of now. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just got a really good soundtrack. It's got a rocket launcher. It's got the things that you want from a first person shooter. I think that the double jump is actually kind of awesome because it gives you like this kind of half a second hover in midair on the double jump. So you, the first jump is just like a normal jump, and then the second one you kind of float a little bit. Um, the enemy design is really creative. There's like you know your kind of standard cultists, but there's also like these weird like flesh turrets that shoot out like these spikes that look like a very long like tooth almost that then explode when they hit you there's uh like these weird like upside down head spiders that run around and like shoot like bullets at you there's uh guys that throw saw blades at you there's just dudes that want to bonk you over the head there's guys with guns it's a fun game i i i I enjoyed the levels that are in the early access build so far that's incision that sounds like there's a lot going on I, I'm, yeah, it, it's it kind of like it sounds kind of <laughs> like Doom in a way to me, though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much that kind of aesthetic. I mean, like the the initial level is very much like a like metal walled facility, except there's like blood coming out of every single hole and crack in the walls, and there's like weird flesh and eyeballs growing in places they shouldn't be. And then by like level two, you're basically in hell, and then it by level three, you're basically in like a weird creature's stomach. It's just. It's like Doom, but body horror instead of Aliens and Satan. That's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, I, 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 I really enjoyed the, uh, the the difficulty slider features. And like, I, I played uh, other shooters from this same publisher previously. I mean, I, I do some work on the side for them, um, so I should probably throw that out there. But uh, that that's with a, a different one of their published games. But uh, I played Postal Brain Damaged, which didn't have these sorts of features. And I just, I'm after playing Incision, I'm sitting here kind of going like, this should be a feature in every single old school shooter because. I don't have any idea how hard it is to implement, but man, it's it's nice to have because suddenly like this game is playable and fun. Unlike Dusk, which even on the easy difficulty got to a point where it was like I actually am physically incapable of beating these levels. It's it's kind of funny to me that you mention how you know part of the accessibility thing is you can change the speed of characters and and the 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 bullet damage because um if you or recall playing, um, oh, what's that game? Uh, GoldenEye. You, you had mean like the, on the N64? Yeah. Double O yeah. mode allowed you to uh, essentially <laughs> um, determine, you know, how accurate enemies were, how much damage they did and, mm-hmm. and all of that. So it's kind of funny seeing um, what was like an endgame secret now be sort of like a um accessibility thing mm-hmm. I, I mean i think it always has been an accessibility thing it's just something that um for some reason isn't included like for me just making the enemies do less damage to you isn't necessarily a helpful feature or add or just having less enemies like if they're if their projectiles are still super fast and it's not like it's not hit scan weapons then like it doesn't matter i'm not going to be able to play that video game regardless of if the uh the projectile speed is lower or higher. It just, it, there's a point where it just, it, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And like, I, that was an issue that I, I even ran into with uh, doom, which is also why I skipped doom eternal. I liked doom 2016 because on the, the kind of the baby mode in doom 2016, I could just kind of fumble, f- fumble thumbs my way through it with a shotgun and kind of get by. But doom eternal just like requires a certain level of precision and visual awareness that it, even on the easy difficulties, I, I can't play that game. Yeah. So no, that's it, really cool. 
it's it's just kind of kind of neat and i just kind of wanted to spotlight that i mean it's definitely a game for a very specific audience um just like you know wildflowers is a game for a very specific audience but um speaking about games that are also for a very specific audience can you two uh talk to me about potion permit a little bit yeah <laughs> Um, honestly, I'm not as big on Potion Permit as I was Wildflowers, um, sadly, because my problem with it is, well, there's a couple things that are immersion-breaking to me, and so the main story doesn't always tell you exactly where to go. It becomes, it's kind of obvious, but it still doesn't directly tell you, so I don't really like that from the standpoint of sometimes I zone out and I don't know where I'm supposed to go. And then beyond that, some of the characters will like say stuff on occasion that does not is not relevant to what they're doing. So they'll be walking around town and they'll talk to them and be like, oh, buy whatever you want or let me know if I can help you find anything. Okay. And you're just there like, I'm not in your store. Come on. I mean, that's that's not something i've really encountered but i've also found no problems with progression so far granted i'm also, i'm fairly early but a lot of it is basically you'll unlock a new area you head to that new area and you'll stumble across something in that area that will then trigger the the quest or what to do next you know usually if there is no direct oh you've got to go do this or a cutscene that introduces it to you, chances are it's involving you've got to actually stumble across it in the wild. And I don't hate that. Like, I I think it works. Um, so I haven't had an issue with that side of the um, the immersion. Um, there okay, f- also, yep. I find what the people say, like the villagers on day-to-day, really bland, right? I only really care about what they're saying during, like, the relationship quests and events, which, by the way, having them as quests where it tells you where to go win, love it. So nice. Because that was one of my biggest gripes with Wildflowers is, like, you can't level up your friendship with them more until you uh get your quest with like your uh cutscene with them but it wouldn't tell you where to go for the cutscene so you're just there with several people that you're stuck on a certain level and you just never happen to stumble across it yeah so that that's that's kind of funny because i didn't even think to check that billboard um for example blind there's a uh, a certain community billboard that when you when you hit a new friendship level, you'll there there'll be a message there like, you know, Cecilia the Nun's one is like, Oh, I want to investigate a strange noise that happens at night. And you go there and it turns out it's Cecilia um singing at night. So it's like, Oh yeah, okay, you're you're a singer. But I don't know, for me I I actually find it really, really nice. It's incredibly beautiful looking. It's incredibly um well uh, well like the mechanics are nice and and pretty straightforward as well i i just think it's kind of neat um it reminds me a lot of graveyard keeper in the sense of you know both the art style and you know it's it's a little eclectic there's a little little weirdness going on and 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 such but yeah no i i actually really really enjoy it enjoying it but if i had to tell someone to pick one i'd pick tell them to go for wildflowers 
they're to see to me they're two completely different games you know do you like the focus on the story or do you like the focus on resource collection and and adventuring because that that's what um wildflowers is more about the story and the people whereas potion permit is less about the people and more about you know um being a chemist there in a land in in a town where people don't really trust you them opening up to you and sort of going from that so they are they are different like i really enjoy the resource collection and upgrading my tools in um potion permit far more than wildflowers but i disagree but <laughs> <laughs> oh um have you picked who you want a romance in potion permit no not yet not yet um yeah i i'm i'm like at the point where they're like getting it like being into you and i still can't choose between um the guy who's at town hall and the carpenter shell or uh yeah i know the carpenter yeah rainer rainer I, it's just, like, they both have cool things about them. I think Rainer is a little more interesting of a character, though, so I might go for him. I, um, I don't know. Can you, can you go for Rue? Yes, she is romanticable. Yeah, so... It says, so if you look at the, if you, like, go to your menu settings and you look at, um, the people, there will be, like, a little thing that says if they're romanticable or not. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, no, um... It's her, Cecilia, and Runeheart that I'm working on being friends with. So, who knows? Mm-hmm. Apologies for my long silence, but I was having an absolute sneezing fit. Y- um, you're you're allergic to us ranting about um <laughs> <laughs> life sims. <laughs> I, I don't even know where it came from, but the thing that I wanted to say is uh, your your description of it very much makes it sound more like a kind of a a JRPG style of life sim rather than more of just like a kind of a more modern story based <laughs> life sim life sim. Um, because like I, I I played like old uh, Harvest Moon and old um, why am I blanking on the name of this now? Rune Factory back in the day uh, on handheld devices, and that's kind of what you're making this sound like more focused on the resource collection, more focused on the mechanics, less focused on the story. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd absolutely say it's very close to uh, Rune Factory in my experience uh, in terms of, you know, the town's there, uh, the story's there, but you can kind of just ignore both and run off into the forest for a bit and totally. you don't you don't lose anything um, by doing mm. so, but if you want to progress in the forest, you have to progress in the story. Yeah, a, a lot of those old, a, a lot of those older kind of JRPG life sims were much more focused on just... Like, th- th- this is kind of the raw mechanical loop of what you're going to be doing. And even, um, like, the SRPGs that came out of, of Japan in, in, like, the the early 2000s and late 90s, like, uh, um, Fire Emblem kind of comes to mind, where, like, those older games are very much their strategy games first with, like, their rock, like, uh, rock, paper, scissors, like, sword and weapon mechanics uh, very much trying, like, you want to pair up your units to, like, make them uh, be friends so that they give each other XP, but aside from that, it's, like, it's very much just a strategy game first, and now, like, modern, more modern uh, Fire Emblem games are a lot, like, closer to, like, life sims to a degree, where they have, like, huge swaths of those games are just focused on, like, 
essentially visual novel and like dating and uh, romancing content and that kind of stuff, which is actually what's pushed me away from that franchise. Uh, but like, there's yeah. there's <laughs> also indie studios that have have come out recently that have been making more of the old school style of things, and that's kind of what this looks like to me, except for the life sim genre instead of the strategy. RPG. Yeah, like I am um, <laughs> speaking about Fire Emblem, I've got three houses and I I get that um paralysis just because it feels like everything you choose means you're it's not just oh you're choosing one thing, you're choosing not to do other things. Uh-huh. And and that 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 sort of puts me in that that mental paralysis of I don't know which is the right choice. Um, I have 2000 hours on Fire Emblem Awakening, mostly, um, the ludicrous difficulty, or whatever the hardest difficulty is. Um, and 90% of that is just like the 3DS equivalent of Alt F4, just shutting down the device, restarting, trying again, shutting down the device, restarting, trying again, shutting down the device, restarting, trying again. Yeah. To so- perfect every single level without letting anybody die. And see, that's the other thing. Um, they've got the new casual mode, which is basically when you when when someone dies, you can still like they they come back at the end of the they get better. They come back at the end of the fight. And I know, right? Like I spend my I spend my time resetting uh, if I lose someone and all of this, and yet for some reason I can't bring myself to play on casual mode without feeling incredibly guilty it's it's the it's weirdest cheating. feeling ever yeah it's cheating it's, but it's because we're, we're old arch That's yeah why. i'll reset every time to try and get it right still maybe it's that yeah. maybe it's the um you know starting from scratch and doing it versus because you don't want to go through that process again Whereas if you if you lose someone and they just come back later you're like oh yeah no nah, they're gone that's no worries it's like less um like, you know, th- there's a reason why you're being careful beforehand, hmm. you know? Yeah, no, I, I I completely agree. Wow, we just completely hijacked this uh, topic about uh, potion permits. So, But uh, yeah, that, that, yeah, that was kind of my bit of what I wanted to say. Is it, it just sounds more like a like an old school kind of thing, which maybe, you know, that, that style of thing doesn't age that well for people that are used to something that's a little bit more new school. Yeah. I mean, I like it. It's just like, I don't know. It, it's not focus. It, it, from your description, it sounds like it's not focusing on the parts of modern life sims that you enjoy. Yeah, well, there's just things that like mess with my immersion. You know, like I don't mind the grinding and all of that. But it's like, you know, there's certain attentions to detail that I feel like, you know, they are attention to detail, but they did kind of get missed. But... I do love how you can have your dog track any NPC for you at any time. Wait, you can do what? So they can tell you where... What? You didn't know? If you... Oh, boy. I don't know. I've been playing on controller. But uh, if you press uh, right trigger... Yeah. You know, whatever it is to get your dog to say hi. Um, th- One of the options says NPC on it. And then you get a list of all the NPCs. And you can have your dog tell you where any NPC is at any time. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that one. That one's actually good to and know. And so it's so nice because, like, that's one of the most annoying things in life sim games is, like, trying to figure out where an NPC is at any time. I was literally and just talking of- about that last video I was recording. I was like, it's because I was looking for Rue. And I'm like, this is such a pain in the ass. 
Oh my yeah, gosh. no, you there's okay. Yeah, you can just have your dog tell you where they are. The dog won't move if like the person's not accessible for some reason. Yeah, but um, for the most part, he just runs straight to it, and it's really easy, and I really like it because um, in wildflowers to do that, you have to like make this potion, and uh, it's like a lot of work. And then you had to like follow it, and it just felt really slow. But in Potion Burmite, you literally just have your dog tell you where they are, and it's okay. so nice. That's really good. I really like that. Yeah, because like I get not having them like on the map, but at the same time, if you don't tell us how to find them and we need to go say hi to them, it's kind of problematic. Yeah, like, um, like I said, um, it's uh, yeah. usually the first mod that I ever look for is NPC locations. So, you know, kind of kind of works for me. I quite like it. Yeah, I really like it because it's like, I don't know, it makes sense with the game because your dog is like able to sniff them out. And so it makes logical sense to yeah. enough. Enough. <laughs> Basically, all the people in Moonbury are sneaky. Yeah. No, they go to, like, random places, which, I mean, they it's really cool to see them interact and stuff, but it can be hard to find people. Yeah. And that's that's it on Potion Permit. <laughs> well, that, that was lovely, uh, in, including the Fire Emblem interlude there in the middle. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Flurp for a second. Um, Flurp is $3.00. And kind of fits into the uh, for for references F L E R P. Um, it is a uh, kind kind of falls into the same section of games as I would call like a Vampire Survivors, except this takes much more of a tower defense angle. Um, it's a very very simple game. This is made by uh, someone named Fool's Room, who I've been following on Itch for a while. Who's put out quite a bunch of, a, a bunch of little free demos on Itch over the past year or so, and they're all very small games, a little one where you just kind of take a ball and you have to jump over, like, little obstacles and stuff. They're they're all essentially just little idea demos, right? Uh, but Flurp is a wave-based tower defense, sort of, where things come in from the edge of the screen and you have to fight them back. Um, some people have pointed at this and says, hey, this looks very similar to a game called Snaker. Well, that, the reason it looks similar to a game called Snaker is it uses the same graphics pack, which is free. Um, so there, there was people that were accusing it of stealing art. It's not. It's using free art, so... You know, um, but uh, essentially you put down these little towers and they're all themed after kind of like little mythological creatures and um, they're, they're all themed after uh, like kind of like D&D. &D. So there's like a wizard, there's a like a spearman and whatnot, and they all kind of have these abstract shapes that they use to kill these abstract shapes coming in from off screen. Um, as things die on screen, little dots appear on screen and you move your mouse around to pick them up and then that levels your the, the over level up and uh, then you get money, which you spend on new towers. You can have up to eight towers and you can level up your towers and then as you're re-rolling and the, the timer ticks up higher, more powerful towers start spawning so you start uh, selling your towers to get better towers, and then there's every five levels, there's a perk that you can choose, which upgrades certain types of towers, and the towers synergize to make combo towers, and it's it's a, it's a neat little thing. It's just a couple dollars, and I've put like four hours into it over the past few weeks. That's that, Flurp. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking it up. Um... I really like 
tower defense games, but this mm-hmm. one looks like it's got so much going on. <laughs> yes. Like it is it, a visual seizure. Yeah, yeah. It's just like red, green, and blue dots everywhere and lines going everywhere and stuff um, turning into smaller dots, killing other dots. It's it's a good Yeah. Time. Yeah. Like I've been uh, playing it, um survive survivor.io or whatever. And mm-hmm. so um yeah, I, I absolutely get those auto battler sort of games, but geez, that looks impression yeah, it looks <laughs> looks not impressive. Um well impressive, yes, but also like there's a lot going on. Intense. That's it. When Fool's Room was tweeting about this uh, as it was like being developed, someone was just like, How are you keeping that above sixty? And he goes, I don't even know. <laughs> like, it's just uh sheer luck and insanity um there is like a an intentional frame rate slowdown when you take damage to like so that you actually notice but um aside from that like it it, it runs flawlessly with like literally thousands of particles and units on screen um it's neat i i, I had a bit of fun with it and i've had a bit of fun with it and i'm gonna keep playing it I like yeah. a good score attack arcade game, and this very much just kind of feels like that. It's a lot of hitting refresh on the reroll, spending two gold at a time to get the right towers to upgrade them or find the the perfect tower to fit with your synergies. And then there's uh you know in between runs little meta progression where you can like oh your tur- your towers get x amount of extra attack speed or damage per level, and slowly you'll unlock that stuff and level up. It's fun. Yeah. No, very that simple. sounds sounds really cool. Arch, do you want to tell me about being a fish? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, it's very frustrating. Um, <laughs> oh, really? Hmm. Um, I had a Chat Chooser's Game uh, event this week, and it was for only, it was for like, you know, three, four hours, and half the votes were for Project Zomboid, and I was like, that's, that's more than just three hours mucking around. But luckily, <laughs> pardon me, luckily, um... Luckily, uh, I am Fish One, which is a game by the same produ- or same developers of uh, Surgeon Sim- Surgeon Simulator, uh, and uh, I am Bread. Strangely enough, they're all connected. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's basically you play different kinds of fish and solve different puzzles mm-hmm. um so at the start you're the goldfish that mostly operates in water gets into goldfish bowls and can like push and roll them around um once you get to sea which is where you got to go uh there's four other fishy players uh a puffer fish a flying fish and a weird bitey fish i didn't get to that one um, and I didn't recognize it just by looks alone. So I started playing. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. It just had really big teeth and like really comical sized teeth. So it's, hmm. it's kind of hard to say without actually, you know, playing and being like, oh, this is its special abilities. Cause each of them have special abilities. Well, the three of them, um, and the flying fish is, has glide obviously, which is both absolutely fun and also maddening in its um difficulty (laughs) of Mm. managing but it's a lot of fun a lot of tongue-in-cheek like you know um kind of like just playing with some silly things 
Um, and yeah, like a weird your, toy box. Yeah, yeah. Your whole goal is to get through these puzzle levels to get back to the ocean. You know, break yeah. out, break out of wherever you are. And that happens through various things like, you know, you land in a, uh, you know, a, a mop bucket and you can mm-hmm. swim and push the bucket around. And there's things like you got to push it onto an escalator or you've got to, um, I think another one is you land in a spherical uh, goldfish bowl and you have yeah. to roll it along these, these, uh, this boardwalk above an airport. And so it's got the typical like bowl of water or, you know, water filled item mechanics in which the physics are really lurchy. You know, it takes a long while to slow. And if you go too hard in one direction, you'll be thrown to the other. Um, So I I played this game ages ago for a sponsored thing. I I had a Twitch bounty for it. And I, I, I played it when it was a demo. And like as part of the thing, they were like, criticize this as much as possible and tell us how you like it and what you like about it and what you want changed. Um, and I have to say that you're describing basically the same game that I played, you know, very much like <laughs> you're dealing with liquids inside of a sphere and you have to deal with all of the momentum that is going to come with that and also then they ask you to do annoyingly precise platforming and you're just like uh, uh, please kill me yeah the the one benefit they have is you can actually when you fail you can respawn at the last checkpoint or mm-hmm. you can spawn at the checkpoint ahead mm. so oh, i good. did i did that once when basically you had to roll um a mop bucket so it's a rather large square uh, rectangular object roll that through an air duct that then breaks and you fall down onto a luggage conveyor belt you've then got to travel along as everything else breaks around you and then you've got to jump out of that and fly down into a container that was filled with water because the fire alarm went off and mm. the biggest thing was you know it it was pretty jank with the whole breaking of the air duct while you're on it that had like a 50-50 chance of just throwing you out. And then when you got to the point that you could jump out and glide to the water, um, as soon as you touch anything, you fall, basically. And the hitboxes aren't super accurate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not talking uh, Dark Souls levels of hitbox porn. Um there are a few instances where I would like hit nothing and I'd be like a whole fish away from the object and it would still count as hit. So there were a few things like that. And I, I think one of them, the chat was like, yeah, yeah, we can, we can skip this one. So, you know, we, we've like fallen next to it. Of way, a fish away is a form of measurement. <laughs> well, I was in an airport the size of 44,000 fish bowls. Okay. Um, well, I, I just want to, I, I, this is kind of a tangent, but it is related. Um, I have beef with Bosa Studios um, because they were working on a game that they didn't release, that they canceled. And this game that they were working on was called Splat Deck. And I have a question for you. Um, I, I, did you ever play with tech decks? Yes. Like those little finger skateboards? Yep. Um, Splat Deck was tech decks, but Splatoon. And doing tricks painted the map so it was a team v team multiplayer game where you're essentially playing tony hawk against other players by doing tricks and splatting paint everywhere 
All right, that sounds ambitious. Yes. And they released a whole bunch of promo material for it and then announced a beta. But the beta that they ran was the weekend Call of Duty and a Battlefield game came out. And nobody played it. Like just straight up, like it, it 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 had a very very low turnout. They ran the 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 beta for three days, and they said it didn't hit our player requirements, and they canceled the whole game. And this is what they put out in response: "I am fish and pigeon simulator." Come on, give Splat Deck another chance. Please. Yeah, yeah. Now that you've From built me. up a lot more goodwill, Bosa Studios, this is a call out to you. Please <laughs> bring back splat splatter deck. That or make splat deck like some sort of single player thing. You know, like we we've had a uh, roller drum recently, right? Like, come on, you could do some sort of like time based level thing where you're like splatting paint on a city as a weird skateboard without a person on it. Like, come on, that game well, was fun. Jet Set Radio Future was literally you had to do graffiti over propaganda. Yeah. Like, th- that that came out over 20 years ago and is still relevant. <laughs> just, just give Splat Deck another chance. Relaunch that project. Come on. Re- restore Gosh. the Splat Deck verse. <laughs> I feel like we're just like talking over Suey. You doing okay over there? Huh? Huh? Okay. Um, <laughs> I think it's time for us to go to news, so we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back from this, we're going to be talking about the news of the, of the week. Um, and hang in there, Suey. Podcast is getting close to done. We'll be right back after this. Hi, this is Tidikiri. I'm a full-time content creator and Twitch streamer focusing on indie and strategy games. I'm advocating accessibility in video games, especially when it comes to simulation sickness. I love chatting with my wholesome community, achievement hunting, and winter. Look for Tidikiri on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon. And now, back to the podcast. And we're back with the Halcyon Frequency Podcast, episode 37. I'm blind with Arch and Suey. Uh, we're talking about the news in games this week. We got this uh, some stuff about E3, some, uh, so, some stuff about uh, things that people forgot about, and then uh, some Twitch stuff, and then some wholesome stuff at the end. So, uh, Suey, do you want to read this first headline out loud for me? Please? Yeah, sure. So, E3 2023 is going to be in person. I thought E3 was dead. Nope. So uh, a couple months ago, E3 uh, was announced to have been picked up and now run by, well, still funded by the, the SA, but run by ReadPop, the uh, group that puts together PAX, PAX East, PAX West, PAX Australia, uh, EGX, and all of those events. And so essentially, it's just it's a new management company running the same event, right? So Previous years, E3 went on a massive decline and slowly lost its identity and ceased being uh, even remotely relevant aside from its online presence. Um, but even then, a lot of the online presence uh, wasn't affiliated with E3 by the end of it. Like by towards the uh, like like the last two years, essentially, if not three, the vast majority of the really big press conferences happening not even affiliated with E3. Uh, they just happen to be at the, on the same week, and. I'm looking at this gamesindustry.biz article uh, by by Christopher Dring, and uh, there's three bullet points here that I want to highlight. That and this is from Reed Pop, so the managing company, and this is what they want to appro- improve about the in-person event for E3 2023 from June 13th to June 16th, so a three-day event. 
Uh, they want to make a, biz a better business event where it's easier to connect and meet and conduct interviews. A uh, problem with uh, E3 over the past few years is they've let the public in, and this makes it harder for people who are going to, you know, a business convention, uh, a business trade show even, um, to do their business at their business trade show. It's it's gotten very difficult for in-person meetings to actually work as they're intended to. Uh, the, the second major bullet point here is make the consumer experience where there are things for fans to actually do. So improve the um, the, 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 the consumer experience. They make a better consumer experience. I missed the, the better word. Um, and another issue with, with E3 is it, it traditionally it's not been an event where you can just go and play games. It's not like PAX. It's not like TwitchCon even. It's like it, it's an event where there are broken ass alphas on the, on the show floor for games that are coming out in two years. And uh, you're essentially guided through by a developer. Uh, these are not often meant for public consumption. So a lot of those games have since moved off of those off of the main floor, and it's just becoming uh, like a uh, essentially just a PAX where there are demos there that anybody can play. But because there's so few of them, and the majority of the stuff that's there for press and industry folks are behind closed doors. What ends up happening is you just have a couple of booths with not a lot to show and really, 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 really long lines. So it was a crappy event to just attend as a as a fan. Um, yeah, and then my my experience on. with it was you waited for the reporters to talk about it because that was where you'd actually get the entertaining stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then the the last thing that they they've said here is partner support and be friends with everyone announcing games in and around E three. Iris, irrespective of whether they are actually in the convention center. And this is really big, right? And they go on later in this article to mention that they're going to do this for free. They will, if you are showing a game in the city in LA, they will just allow you to have space uh, at the convention center to show your game to the point where they're opening up another hall that hasn't been open uh, in the convention center for this. Um, so previous years for E3, what would end up happening is smaller games like indie games and games that can't afford the exorbitant costs for booth space at E3 uh, would just set up in a hotel room close by and they'd just be, you know, sending press emails saying, hey, show up, we're in this hotel just next door, come come say hi, but completely unaffiliated with the event officially. And I, I think what ReadPop is doing is just kind of like a reality check for E3 where they're just like, hey, like this event is irrelevant and has been irrelevant for a while. And the only way to make it relevant again is by actually like bringing back the people that left because of the exorbitant cost, uh, the like ridiculous requirements and, um, you know, kind of lackluster payout at the end for a lot of people taking part. It's ego got a bit too big. I will agree with that with E3. Yeah. So the, the E I, in E3 stands for ego. <laughs> ego three, ego cubed. Hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, I, th I think for me, as somebody who's like press adjacent and has, you know, been a fan of this industry for a really long time, I watched kind of the ups and downs of E3. Like I started watching E3 stuff actively in about 2007. Uh, yeah. So I think like the first year I really remember watching E3 um, and seeing all of the news announcement coming out and uh, seeing all the press conferences. And at that point, I went back and watched older ones that had been recorded. I saw it through the I watched it as a consumer from the outside as like something that became big and bombastic and started seeing YouTubers and um, creators that I enjoyed watching in the early 2000s or in the late 2000s, and the early 2010s start going to the event. And like I, I saw footage and. I, I, I watched the thing kind of crash down in its irrelevancy and as streaming and um, uh, like the modern game press has kind of evolved, I think like it, its need to exist has shrunk slightly, which 
I, I, does, I don't think means that the event needs to cease existing. I just think it needs to reinvent itself. And hopefully Reed Pop is the, the, the grease that can, like, make it do that. Um, like, I, I did go to PAX this year. I do think that there still is a place for conventions. There still is a place for in-person events. I just don't think that there's a place for in-person events the way E3 was trying to do it for the last three to four years even. And I don't yeah. think that there's a place for in-person events the way we did them pre-pandemic, I think that they need to be a not more controlled thing necessarily, but a more intelligently run event. Um, we need to make them better for people. We need to make them better for fans. We need to make them better for press. And we need to give them a reason to exist in a world where um, you know information is out there on the internet and all that the publisher needs to do is push a button and start a live stream. Yep, not exactly. I, I almost feel like I wrote that down. Like, I swear I wasn't reading off a script or something. <laughs> I've just been thinking about this a lot for the last three days. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, E3 is coming back in person June next year. Um, I'm probably not going to go because I don't think I could afford it. But, uh, I don't know, they need to watch from the outside. Yeah, it'll be, be keen to see the info, you know, come in from, from outside for sure. Arch, do you want to start off this next this next topic here? Yes, in um, a stunning move that nobody in the world ever, ever saw coming. Also, somehow sarcastically and literal as well, um, Google has decided to shut down yet another one of its projects, this time Google Stadia. Um, Google Stadia is basically a cloud-based gaming platform where you can purchase and play games um remotely using cloud-based uh hardware uh video streaming service similar to uh geforce now i think it's called um what what is cloud gaming so basically it's playing a game on someone else's computer while it's being streamed to you that's <laughs> but when that's, i own uh, a computer why would i do that well Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll stop this bit now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let, let's break it down. The reason to doing it is um, mostly because you can play games in higher fidelity. Like, all you need is a good internet service as opposed to a good Hold CPU. On a I have a good I have good internet, but I tried using Stadia. And I, true story, I actually did um, on my home computer, on my home internet, and I still got like the occasional artifact. If I were to turn the camera really quickly in that Assassin's Creed demo, so are you, uh, uh, wh how in the world is that higher fidelity? Well, it's it's maybe higher fidelity for somebody who only has a phone or like uh, just has a MacBook Air. Yeah, okay, but so that's a very small niche market right there. It's surprisingly... And also, their way their business model worked was you had to pay full price for games that you couldn't even download onto your computer. Yeah, but it was... Wait, really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, That's it, They also so had a subscription stupid. service where you had a small, yeah. and I do mean small, selection of games that you could play. It was like six games or something, um, and it would occasionally rotate, but like, it was a full price release service. Yeah. So the benefit is of of them shutting down is they're refunding all of those costs, including except those full for price their games. Except, except for, for the, the subscription monthly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there was um there there has been that they've gone through some struggles like doing that. Of course, uh, GeForce Now is also in the space. Um, but this so Xbox. Yeah. Um, this comes as a surprise as a surprise to everyone though. Um. 
like even um a couple of the engineers that i i follow on um on twitter and such were saying they weren't aware of the um the shutdown you know i'm not uh, surprised <laughs> yeah like um let me just have a look here uh the engineers weren't even told they're gearing up to they were gearing up to launch a game on the 1st of november and mm. they literally got told Oh yeah, no, it's actually being shut down, um, you know, <laughs> and all of this. So I saw that on Twitter. Yeah, nobody got given any notice. It's absolutely ridiculous how how quick this happened. Um, Google's not a stranger to shutting down things. Um, there's the the joke that they've gone through like four or five messenger programs. I think the latest one is uh, Chat, like Google Chats. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a surprise to a lot of people because like, as, um, <laughs> as, as one, uh, Twitter user said, let me just find it and read it actually out. Um, oh, I can't find it now. That's a shame. It's, uh, let me Roll there you go. To be fair, Google Stadia faced terrible odds in the past three years, having to deal with a global pandemic forcing people to turn to online entertainment, graphics cards and console shortages creating high demand for alternatives. If only they hit the market at a better time. You know, it's <laughs> all of the stars aligned for Google Stadia to really take off, but it just never did. And so while I'm not surprised at Google shuttering it, I am surprised at it being such, you know, a quick turnaround and um, no notice to people. It sounds like a decision was made before a license renewal or something had to happen. Well, uh, so something that I have seen uh, said about Stadia, though, is there is other uses for this tech, you know, Um specifically people are kind of expect like there's been murmurs of people expecting it to show up as part of google docs um for uh editing video in the cloud so multiple people can be working on one video file uh without actually having to send renders back and forth and just being able to manipulate the same software um there is other uses for this kind of streaming stuff and i'm sure google will do something with it like i, I don't think this is just going to be dead in the water um even though like the engineers weren't told everything that I've heard is basically saying that everybody's just getting moved to different places within Google. Obviously there will probably be some turnover, but it sounds like mostly people are keeping their jobs, which I guess is good. Um, it's just, I'm not surprised. I don't think anybody is actually surprised except for maybe the people working on the systems. Um, they were still actively releasing games. Like I, I saw games with like also on Stadia as of just a couple of days ago. Um, one thing I saw that was kind of funny was the Proteus account, which is a humble published game, tweeted out uh, a screenshot of Stadia adding them saying, hey, when are we getting a Stadia port? Um, and it's like... <laughs> It's kind. Of, it's kind of funny, but also kind of sad. You know, like I, it sucks to see people losing jobs. But I don't know. Like I, there, there is a, a another person on Twitter saying like this is comparing to like the 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 power glove and the Virtual Boy, uh, from Nintendo. And it's like, or or even the Dreamcast, where it's just like just kind of these misguided systems more than anything. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, what, what's what's that saying? Uh, technology looking for a purpose. You know, I have no doubt that the technology will work in other areas and be applied to other things. 
um, quite often that's what Google likes to do. I mean, they they favor innovation. They encourage their developers to to innovate and look for ways for to put technology onto things and such. So, yeah, no, I'm pretty um pretty pretty uh excited for what can come of it. Uh, I've never tried cloud gaming. I really should try uh, GeForce now at some point because um, I've heard good things about it. Um, you know, that it is accessible. It is, it is all of this. Um, and I think we, we do need to take a moment to acknowledge that, especially as streamers, we have access to pretty high end computers that aren't accessible to a lot of other people. Um, I mean, disposable income that can go into computers or like for us work income, I guess. But, you know, like I, 10 years ago, all I had access to was a laptop that didn't even have a dedicated graphics card. And this would have been an absolute godsend to me. I would have been able to play games and probably play them with my friends. I don't know if multiplayer games is on uh, Stadia, but um, there, there would have been a lot more accessible games to me rather than being stuck playing MapleStory. And I might have turned out to be a different person. <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> so we do want to uh, read the first highlight headline in this uh, big old Twitch block of news we got here. Yeah, so Twitch is testing a ping to pin a chat message thing. I believe it's, oh, what is it called? Um, Super chat. Elevate, elevated chat, I think. Oh, right? it was elevated chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like being elevated and, uh... when I chat. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, it's exponentially costs more as you want more time on your message. Uh, and I don't know. It's a 70-30 split, so creators do technically maybe get more than they would for uh, subs, but not necessarily bits. Because bits, I think, is 70-30 um, with fees included, but this is after taxes and fees. So it's probably not going to be as of a split. Yeah, I got two of these yesterday, and they're they're closer to fifty after fees and everything. Oh, they're they're not great. Um, but uh, I'm just I'm just gonna say this, uh, Twitch. Can you stop trying to cosplay YouTube? Thanks. This feature sucks. I okay okay. I have no problem with Twitch going. Hey, this could be a thing. The problem I have with it is donations work better. Donations oh, yeah. allow the streamer to customize things. They can have sound alerts. They can have text to speech. They can really, you know, have the opportunity for these things to stand out. The the elevate is mostly to get chat's attention, not the streamers, and that strikes me as kind of weird, right? Um, elevate also like only if you're a big streamer with very fast moving chat. Um, you know, would probably have an intention, uh, a, a chance of the streamer noticing it versus anything else. But even then a donation is better and, you know, 95 to a hundred percent of that goes to the streamer. The other thing though, is just, it's just weird, you know, like the people like to take a moment, you know, how you, there's an option to highlight your message for channel points as one of the default ones. The only people who use that are the ones who want to be noticed by the streamer. 
Like, you know, and, and not just, oh, hey, I want you to make sure you see this. It's notice me, notice me, please notice me. Usually they've tried talking to other times and you've ignored what they've said. So they use that to try and get your attention. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just, I look at it and I look at this and go, what problem does it solve? You know, and that that's, that's where monetization of something really does sort of work. It's, does this solve a problem? And there's no problem that the Elevate solves. Um, yeah, it's just another feature. And like for, for YouTube, Super Chat kind of works because um, one, it's, it's basically the same as a donation. You know, they don't have uh, as easily monetized uh, systems as that. But it's just weird. Like I... If they, it's like they've looked at YouTube and gone, okay, so what's YouTube's strength? What's our strength? What are our weaknesses compared to YouTube? And the thing is, is Twitch has a better chat system, right? But they look at that and they see super chats and they go, hey, that's something that we've got a better chat system. They've got this. If we put this in, then we'll just have an even better chat system as opposed to actually thinking about how it can solve something. Um, I'm surprised they haven't tried selling channel points at this point in time. They do. If you resub, you get channel points. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, just straight up buying. I'd like to buy 100,000 channel points for this much. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I For me, this is one of those features where I really hope that... I, I Honestly, I don't care if Twitch implements this feature. Like, it, it, it's not something my community will use outside of, like, rare occasions. And even then, as long as I can like moderate it it doesn't matter to me I, I i do not care what what i do care about um is i hope that this is something like uh the initial rollout of bits where we can opt into it and if we don't want to opt into it we can disable it um there's this very telling thing on the twitch blog which was can i opt out of these experiments and twitch just says no which leads me to believe that these are probably just permanent features and i'd be very surprised if these go away just because of how wide this rollout is usually when twitch tests something it's a very small number of partners this is literally like everybody um so i don't know i i hope that this is something that we can opt in or out of because for smaller communities it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever uh for like yeah, it's... yeah. do you want to say something silly? it's a nuisance yeah. honestly like at my size especially because like on occasion i'll go like almost a half hour with like two messages from chat you know and it's like this doesn't do anything when I'm having two messages in 30 minutes, you know, like on a bad day, like on a slow day. I mean, me on a slow day, I can go 10 minutes with, with, with no chat. Right. So like, I, yeah. I feel you there, like, like not, not quite to that extent, but what I'm, what I'm saying is, is again, this is only aimed at the people whose chat is effectively spam, right? It's aimed at the large creators, probably as a measure to, address the you know the the cuts on um sub count you know because those are the people that will likely be affected by this by having a message being able to stick around as opposed to things like um my friend watches pay money wubby um absolutely huge streamer can't <laughs> i listen to him half the time and i'm like why do people listen to this um but his chat is just it, it, it's basically a live feed of spam, you know? Um, and 
even with this feature, you would probably have people competing to have their message up the top, you know? That's where it's like, oh, okay, there'd be an actual use for this. There'd be a benefit for for that. But even then, you're still losing out. It's it's essentially aimed at the top, the 1% of the 1%, you know? Because, like, what is it? Um, I think I'm in the top 1% of streamers. If you have, uh, if you have more yeah. than, it's, it's, it's at least a couple of years ago, if you had more than 50 concurrent average, you were in the top 1%. No, no, no. It's, Let's see, it's, I'll check. it's even less now. Probably. Yeah. But this was a couple of um, years ago. I haven't looked recently. I'm looking myself up right now on the way to chat. Yeah. My average is 28 and I'm in the top 0.86%. What? I'm in the top 0.73, and my I average in? is 30. Yeah. What so, am I Because I'm in the 60s. Um, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a look now. If it ever loads. Uh-huh. I know, the website's so slow that I use. Uh, You are 0.32% of Twitch. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Huh. And, and and even then, as you said, there's there's likely no chance that the, the message will pop up that you'll miss because other messages pu- push it out of the way, yeah, right? So this is a completely useless feature for the vast majority of the site. Yeah, and yeah. they're trying <laughs> to they're trying to push that seventy thirty split as like, oh no, we are being generous here, but to them, they're only doing it for that thirty percent, right? Yeah, that absolutely. that that's it. They're not looking at. This is something that will help streamers. It's this is another way for us to make a bit of money. And um, yeah. Speaking of ways for Twitch to make a bit of money, uh, in South Korea, Twitch will be limited to 720p starting on September 30th, which is at the time of recording. And Arch, you you said that you can like uh, elaborate on this one a little bit. Yeah. So we've looked into various. things with the South Korea market. My previous job did as well. Um, and the South Korean market is incredibly difficult to break into in terms of any foreign media. I mean, Twitter and Facebook aren't even the dominant social media there. There is, um, I forget what it's called now off the top of my head, but they're very, uh, secular. They're very tight on their own thing and breaking into the uh south korean streaming market absolutely difficult absolute nightmare um and so it was it was known as a pain point for for trying to break into that market there were a few of them there but i believe they mostly used the other uh, live streaming service so first of all it was difficult for Twitch to get a foothold in uh, South Korea and, and get like a strong, strong monetized user base there. But then there's also um, a report come out that, that um, South Korea is pushing to actually have um, uh, big, uh, big firms pay for the data their, their programs use. So YouTube is another one targeted. Um, just opening up the actual thing here, had to click the prompt, the, uh, Korea Herald article we've got here. Um, the proposed bill basically requires global content providers to pay network fees to local internet service providers. So (laughs) it becomes an absolute nightmare of not only are you having to host the video, handle the, the streaming of all of that, you'd also have to pay for the bandwidth 
to the local service providers and that becomes incredibly difficult so as such um twitch is limiting their video to 720p to save costs there based on first of all i imagine this bill the impact from the bill but also the reasons i mentioned as well because data is actually quite expensive in in um south korea uh, I should say Korea because they prefer to be called just Korea, not South Korea. To them, North Korea is a bit of an anomaly. Um, I think to but the yeah. most of the world, North Korea is a bit of an anomaly. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the the other thing is just yeah. Uh, basically, um, this bill it reminds me a lot of the Australian bill that was aimed at making uh, Google and Facebook pay for. Uh, any news articles like to to host news articles or to link news articles it would charge like uh, they'd have to pay the news the news uh creators it's it was very very weird and they actually eventually had to um um oh, they had to uh do it i don't know if it's still being done but yeah, basically, it's very anti, um, anti Western, anti outsider thing, you know, focused on outside companies, making it harder for them to break in and basically muscle over Korean companies. So it's interesting. Yeah. I, 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 I tend to agree. I think that this is, this is something like when I saw this start, like pop up from like the Twitch blog and like Zach Bussy tweets, I was like, this seems a bit out of my element. So yeah, I, it, it makes sense. I, I think I really wonder how it's going. Cause like South Korea is huge for, um, uh, esports. And I know that a lot of like South Korean esports has moved over to, over to YouTube. Um, but I, it, there's still definitely a market for, uh, like, Korean esports on Twitch, and so for for me, like that, that just kind of makes me blink three times because I'm like, whoa, okay, that's quite the downgrade. But I guess it kind of just is what it is. Yeah. Last thing that okay. we kind of have on here is uh, Twitch has been uh, expanding on some old systems and re-displaying how things are shown. Uh, one of the things that they've done is they've moved the uh, concurrent chat messages per stream to a different spot uh, in the like your last stream stats window. So if you look at your stats from your last stream, it, it shows it differently. Um, the major difference here is uh, it also has moved the placement for the VOD in the Your Last Stream stats screen uh, to the same screen with the uh, active chatting kind of bars on it. I know this doesn't play very well on uh, a verbal podcast, but just like play with me. Um, now, this is a feature that Twitch has had in its stats screen for a while, which can be found underneath the concurrent viewers stat. There's like a little sliding menu where you could change it. Um, however, they've moved it and made it much more bigger and much more prominent. Um, the main change is now when you highlight uh, the number of chats in that hour um, or active chatters in that hour uh, graph bar, uh, it actually highlights the VOD as to where it was. So you can like say, okay, people were very actively talking at this point. And I, I think it's it's a better display of an old stat. And I some people were yelling at it going, oh, this is stupid. This is a feature you already have. Like, why are you making a big deal out of this? But it's like, no, it's like a significantly better display for an older stat. So I think that's a change in the right direction. Yeah, I think a lot of um, a lot of streamers also probably don't understand the power of various analytics. 
Um, and 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 this, especially linking to the VOD and such, gives a lot more strength to the um, the the streamer, the content creator, to make informed decisions. And that's always the the key thing, right? You know, looking at that, going, okay, why was the chat? What was happening at this point? And it could be something as simple as a discussion, or it could be something that the streamer was doing, and the streamer, yeah, a raid. Well, yeah, that's it. You'd look at it and you know why. Like seeing big numbers is is one thing, or seeing numbers is one thing, but understanding why those numbers are there, um, or or how those numbers came to be, whether they're high or low, um, plays a part in it. A lot of streamers will be like, oh yeah, I like I'm sure everyone here can say there's a game I love, but it's so dead playing it, like num viewer numbers are low, um, chat activity is low that I don't play it on stream. And, or, you know, I don't stream it. And, and so from that is you are taking numbers, you are applying a learning numbers are low. I was playing this game. Therefore I won't play that game. Numbers are high. I was playing this game. Therefore I'll play more of that game or more of that style. And it's just the same here. It's more numbers, which make it easier to infer the outcomes or if infer the resolutions and um yeah work from that and sort of actually create meaningful decisions based on actual numbers which to me is great it's exactly what you want to be able to do yeah it's similar it's something that's been there for a while but it's also been put in a way that gives you a lot more control over it that's that's it exactly you know and I don't know, I, I look at this and I like it and, you know, I don't think it's get excited, get thrilled, but it's definitely, this gives you as a creator more power. Absolutely. Um, Sui, can you read this second to last headline we have here? Yeah. Uh, so Slime Rancher 2 has recently come out and it has sold 300,000 copies so far. I'm actually planning to play it eventually. Uh, I have a review key for it, but yeah. It's in early access, so it's not a full release, but it is out. Um, and this is a, a tweet from one of the developers. Uh, and what, what they say is, uh, wow, we, uh, in just a few days, Slime Rancher 2 has sold more than 300,000 copies and reached number one on Steam with a 95% positive review score across over 6,000 reviews. Uh, most importantly, all of this was achieved with zero crunch while offering top tier benefits and unlimited paid time off to our team. Thank you. I don't really have too much more to say about this aside from it's nice to see things like this happen. Yeah, no, oh, it's yeah. absolutely great to see that it is possible because it. <laughs> I think a lot of the argument that happens with things like these that go, well, you know, crunch is just inevitable once you get to a deadline, but then you see things like this and you go, well, maybe it's not. Maybe maybe that the crunch is something wrong with the, the industry rather than the just a product of it, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I another good example of this is uh, uh, developer Heart Machine, who who put out Hyperlight uh, Drifter, uh, the uh, our um, Solar Ash and Hyperlight Breaker, uh, which is their follow up to Hyperlight Drifter. Um, there's a series of documentaries that NoClip has been putting out um, following that studio and the development of Hyperlight Breaker. And in like the first episode, there there it's a lot of recapping about Hyperlight Drifter and Solar Ash and them talking about crunch and time off and like their work culture 
culture and making work a sustainable, like consistent environment. That's just something that people are okay with being in. And it, it's it and the way that they uh, avoid crunch and manage uh, the, the time in their studio. And I think that it's it's nice to it's nice to see that being a priority in business, you know, because like you know when businesses exist, they want to stay in business, and people who are creative making creative products want to be able to continue making said creative product. And um, you know, I hats off to them, pretty much. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting how so many places have managed to miss the whole. If you make a place rewarding to work at you will get people who want to work there and who are passionate about this. A lot of game studios tend to get that feeling of, oh, you, you've you got to be passionate to work here because otherwise you wouldn't. You know? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and that just kind of drains people. And it's, it's yeah. very obvious to see yeah. from a distance. And, and that's why I'm, I'm honestly surprised at how inherently um, common crunch culture is because i mean how do you have games that actually have heart and soul by people who are having that ripped out of them as they as they work on them you know so the uh next kind of and final headline we have here for the news section is um kind of bouncing off of this in the polar opposite um which i (laughs) I saw pop up while we were recording this so i figured i'd link it because i think it's it's interesting uh now this comes from brandon st Clair, who is the managing editor of gamesindustry.biz and previously working at GameSpot. um and the what what they said is Duke. This is just a tweet, right? Duke Nukem Forever went from went five thousand one hundred and fifty six days from its announcement in nineteen ninety seven to its release in two thousand eleven. All right, it has been five thousand two hundred and thirty four days since the first Beyond Good and Evil trailer two, or the Beyond Good and Evil two trailer was released. So Beyond Good and Evil 2 is now officially the longest not canceled but delayed game in active development. <laughs> uh, alleged active development. Uh development hell. Yep. I mean, um it's kind of From funny. Man- well managed like to mismanagement. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like um the the one thing I look at and think about here is it's probably never going to be good. You know, it's, it's either, (laughs) it's, it either, it's either hit a point that it's been scrapped and started again, which is fine. That can happen. Um, the one, one thing I want to, uh, refer back to is, um, Final Fantasy 15. Final, Final Fantasy 15 was in development hell as well. And they actually, um, I'm just looking his name up. Uh, the director, um, Hajime Tabata was literally pulled in to basically drag this game kicking and screaming out of development hell in order to get a workable product released. And like for what for what it's worth, he did an okay one, but it was never it was never as big as it could have been. And, you know, it it suffered from being in development for so long because quite simply the plans were created and scrapped again and again. Um and so looking at this now, honestly, if they're still working from the original plans 5,000 days ago, they, they probably need to stop and scrap it and rewrite again, which I'm guessing either they're not, it's not yeah, it's either not, it's, it's not even like visually the same game from the original 
like yeah. announcement trailer. Like the, yeah. for for reference for anybody here who's not familiar with Beyond Good and Evil, the first Beyond Good and Evil is essentially like a Legend of Zelda style game where you play as a, a lady in a sci-fi world uh, surrounded by animal people and you're a photographer. So it's like a Legend of Zelda game, but you're taking pictures of things. And so there's like, you know, there's melee combat, there's some, there's dungeon crawling, like you go from area to area, it's kind of got like a loose open world, it's, there's like fun sidekicks and like lovable characters, and it's, it's a good time, it's a fun romp, um, but Beyond Good and Evil 2, there was an original trailer, which I remember seeing in like the late 2000s, which according to this GameSpot article I'm staring at right now was 2008, um, and then... Uh, beyond then, uh, now it's like some weird space sim, and the last trailer that was released included like this very expensive cinematic trailer uh, where they then announced, by the way, if you want to work on this game for us for free and we'll feature your art in the game and we'll pay you, you can send us an email via this website to apply. And then there was like rumors of it getting tied up into potential blockchain stuff, and then that like those rumors got canned, and like I, I don't even. Wow. They they like tried yeah. to make it into Star Citizen somehow. It's it's very strange. And allegedly it's still in active development. Ubisoft, what the hell are you doing over there? Like the only yeah. thing they can ship is Assassin's Creed apparently. Well, that's that's just updating and graphics. Far Cry. Yeah, again. <laughs> again. Speaking of things we got to do again, Sui, who are you and where can people find you on the internet? Yes, I am Sui. People can find me over on Twitch. It's S-U-W-E-Y. And then I'm on YouTube as well. Um, and then I have a Twitter, which is at Sui Streams. Arch Play Stuff, who are you? I'm Arch Play Stuff, and you can find me uh, basically on all social platforms as Arch Play Stuff. Uh, predominantly I'm- on Twitch and uh, YouTube. And I'm Blind IRL. You can find me at Blind IRL on just about everything. And uh, if you want to find more episodes of this podcast, this has been the Halcyon Frequency podcast. Uh, you can find that at halcyonfrequency.com, as well as links to other places you can listen to it. If uh, you look it up on your podcast platform of choice and you do not find it, please send me a DM and I will make it appear there. Although at this point, we should be pretty much everywhere. I would like to say real quick thank you to Peter Pohl and Paul Mile for the lovely intro and outro and advertising music that you hear in the background. And uh, what else do I say about this? Right. Uh, you should join the Halcyon Frequency Community Discord so you can get updates on all of, all, all of our group events, as well as notifications of when this podcast goes live. There's a room on that Discord where you can discuss the podcast. And if you have questions that are relevant to be read on this podcast, we might read them out one day. And uh, aside from that, we air live on Sundays. So until next week, do not change that dial. Tune in next week. This has been Halcyon Frequency, signing off. Halcyon Frequency.